Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hey, what's happening, Rush Nation? It is Murph here. There is no stock. Stocks has gone on a well-earned vacation. Um, at least he's left it like until June and not like week one of the season like he did last season. So we'll take it. Hope you're resting well, sir. I know we spoke the other day and he's staying in a really, really lovely sort of ranchy place. And, you know, rather than listen to me, if you're watching the live stream, you know that I'm not alone. If you're listening to this on the podcast, very rarely I'm alone. Um, and I always like to bring a, a good friend on to keep me company. And I have brought one of my absolute favorite friends of this industry on. And I'm glad that he's agreed to come on and keep me company this evening. Uh, as we've just been talking off air about the Euros and the big game tomorrow. But without further ado, my good friend, Pat Fitzmaurice of uh, footballgirl.com um, and also with Football Guys as of recently as of the last time we spoke and uh, also the most accurate ranker on the planet as it stands right now. Pat, welcome back. Good to have you. Murph, always good to talk to you. Uh, miss seeing stocks, but uh, I know we're going to have a good time today. Uh, absolutely. We've got a lot, a lot to cover off. Um, without further ado, let's start with what's been going on since you, um, you know, since you were last on, obviously you've joined football guys. That's, uh, uh, quite a newish thing since you last on, but what else has been going on pandemic and being at home and what's, what's, what's new with you? 
Yeah, uh, so things have kind of opened up here. We seem to have things under control a little bit with the virus. I mean, vaccination rates, maybe not quite where we want them to be, but, um, you know, everyone seems to be uh, maskless now, at least the vaccinated here, uh, people with no pre-existing conditions. So things are pretty normal, but, um, you know, I've been working from home full time. So, uh, you know, it's in some ways it looks a lot like it did during the pandemic with, uh, you know, really not that much going on, but it has been nice to occasionally get back to a bar or a restaurant. Um, I, I did miss that. And, uh, you know, the, the paranoia about being around large groups of people is starting to dissipate a little. So I guess that's a good thing. See, that's good. So obviously it's different. Every state is, is different. What's it? So were you saying big groups, like how big, how many people are allowed to meet up in a, I don't know, say a restaurant, a bar or a public, public place? What's the, what's the limit in which people can meet up now? Or is there no real restrictions in place? Anymore? Yeah, no, I don't think there are many restrictions. I mean, they're back to being uh, live music is happening again. Um, there are major league baseball games and NBA playoffs games going on with uh, no restriction as far as seating capacity. So things are pretty fully reopen here and uh you know i haven't personally been any in any really packed places yet just basically pubs and restaurants with seating capacities of like you know less than 100 and probably far fewer people than that actually in the place but um you know there are some places and some venues where things are pretty crowded yeah, I, and I think it's it's starting to be – it's good to see. I I've, I have a lot of American friends from my time there. It's good to see people out and about and, and people sort of still taking a little bit of caution, and I think that's going to be there for a while for the most part, but it, it seems like people are embracing this life, and, and we're in a very similar-ish state here. We were supposed to open up uh, on the 21st of June, Um we we've got a lot of things open compared to what we did. We had a really long lockdown. Um, restaurants are open, pubs are open. Um, there's a few little things not quite open. Nightclubs, um, you know, for for Lee likes to uh, dance around and, uh, and throw some shapes. Um, and there's you know still reduced capacity at things. We have Wimbledon start today. They're at fifty percent capacity. Um, the Euros is less than that they're hoping to get up to 60,000 for the semi-final and and uh the final which would be very strange to see um but we have a new proposed uh date of the 19th of July is when we will be hopefully pretty open um and that's just due to the delta variant which came from india and it's just the the infection rates are, are massively climbing i look at the numbers now and it was like a week and a half ago, it was at 6,000 a day. Now it's 23,000 a day. But the vaccinations are working. 82% of our population have had a first vaccine or an adult population. So the number of people going to hospital is relatively low. It's still in the hundreds, for example, of people that are in hospital with, with COVID, not the thousands and tens of thousands that we had. So the vaccines are working. Um, so hopefully, as long as that stays normal, we'll be able to open up. But it does mean that at some point we're all probably going to get COVID. So uh, we'll see what happens. But 
it's it's a strange world. I'm glad that you know things are opening up there. Things are sort of coming to the end here. Um, I know we've got listeners all over the world, and you know if you're not vaxxed, get vaccinated. Hopefully you do. If you don't believe in it, that's fine. But at the same token, just you know do do what's right by you. I'm not going to get into a political stance because uh, Cole Beasley's done that for most people. We can just leave him to talk about that. Let, let's talk about one of the reasons I wanted to get you on, other than the fact I just love having you on anyway, is we've been doing a kind of a masterclass of a lot of things recently. We've been doing a masterclass of Best Ball and Dynasty and Superflex and a, a lot of other things. And, you know, it would be reminiscent to bring on <laughs> the number one ranker on the planet right now. Um, and not talk about rankings uh, because it's, it's something that's been really interesting with our audience. Uh, lots of people approach me about how to do projections. We're not going to talk about projections. We're going to stick to, to rankings, but just it'd be good to get a bit of an insight to people who are either doing rankings for the first time or have been starting to do them because we get tons of questions. People are really interested in finding a good process. And, and since you're, you're the guy reigning, ranking champion and you've had many top five top 10 finishes what is a good place to start for people who are either looking to rank for the first time or have been doing it but looking to perhaps get a bit better at how they produce their rankings sure um well first of all good point that i am just temporarily the uh reigning champion i I know that's going to be fleeting which is probably why my uh, wife denied my request to have an iron throne installed in our living room. Uh, <laughs> it's not happening. So, um, yeah, I, I guess to start with, um, at the non-quarterback positions, like usage is king. Like look for usage trends. Where are the targets going? How are players uh, – look at targets. Look at snap shares how have teams been trending as far as how they use their players? Like you're never going to get nothing is static. Everything moves around a lot, but if you kind of study that stuff, you start to get a better idea. Um, I do think, and this is something I learned over the years in rankings that people tend to overplay defensive matchups and put too much emphasis on that. Um, Just from watching other good rankers over the years, people I really respect as far as the rankings work, Sean Corner, John Paulson, Justin Boone, uh, a bunch of other people who, you know, I really admire. Uh, I noticed that when I would be off from where they had a player ranked, if there was a discrepancy, um, you know, if I was kind of the outlier, Uh, It was often because I was overplaying defense and they were looking more at likelihood of touch volume, uh, likelihood of how many carries a player had been getting and and not worrying so much about the matchup. And I would notice that more times than not, they were right and I was wrong. And over the years, I've kind of shifted my thinking on that. And um, generally, I think Maybe it's our tendency to overmanage and, and want to be involved in that. But I do tend to think we get too excited about positive defensive matchups and too, uh, too worried about tough matchups and, and make suboptimal decisions about starting lesser players because of that. Um, 
And then just anyone who wants to rank, just dive in. Start with quarterback, which is an easier position to do since, you know, if you're doing preseason rankings, there's usually just one guy to talk about on a team, maybe two if it's a a transitional situation like the Bears or the 49ers or someone like that or uh, an ambiguous situation like the Saints. But just start and go through teams alphabetically or division by division and start stacking quarterbacks. You know, if, if you're doing it alphabetically, start with Atlanta and slot in Matt Ryan and then Arizona's next. Do you like Kyler Murray more than Matt Ryan? Yes, you should. And then just keep doing that. And if if you come to tough decisions, if it's Baker Mayfield versus Daniel Jones, uh, dig into the numbers a little bit. Dig into what you think the, the run pass splits are going to be for a team in a given year. Um, yeah, so uh, I mean, that's about it. There's a lot of nuance in, during the season. Injuries come into play. Uh, you know, weather might come into play, so many things, but, uh, you know, dive in and try it for yourself in pre-draft season and and don't rely on the so-called experts who get a lot of things wrong every year. Absolutely. I, I think that's the first thing is everyone can pretend to be an expert. Everyone who says they're an expert gets things wrong all the time. If we were right all the time, there'd be no point in playing the games. It would be played on a simulator and, and Madden would be more rich than it is now. Um, but I think it's, it's interesting. A lot of people come to me and say, I really want to do projections. And I'm like, okay, it sounds great. Like I want to do projections and I, and I get it. And I don't try and dissuade people too much, but I do say it's a lot of work to do projections takes weeks just to formulate them, let alone the tweaks. And um, the first time, second time, the third draft are all pretty, pretty rubbish. Um, I, it takes me three months to formulate projections that i feel good enough to even share with with stocks like that's how long it takes me to produce a set of projections i feel like i can actually share this with another human being because it takes so much accounting and i say to people do rankings first because at least with rankings you can you know it's it's less about the finite margins because you could you could literally project two players to be you know point one of a fantasy point off and you're sitting there like, well, actually, I thought this person would be above this person. And you've got them so infinitely close. And you're like, mm, have I got that right? Well, maybe I need to go back and tweak. Whereas if your gut's telling you that, uh, let's say Miko Hardman, for example, is someone who um, should be in the, the top 50 wide receiver conversation, top 40 wide receiver conversation, maybe the fringe wide receiver three conversation, if that's how you feel. At least you, in a ranking, you can put him there. Like you don't have to worry too much about, oh, well, I've got to look at his projections and oh, I'm, am I really sure? Is that right? Do the rankings first. I think it, it will help you with your process. And then if you do want to elevate and go to projections, at least once you've done that for a year or two, it will set you in good stead for the projection process. Um, one of the questions I have around rankings that I get this a lot, so I want to get this straight from you, is – Obviously, we're trying to tell people to use tiers. Tiers is a good way of not being so linear in drafts and thinking, well, okay, I have to just go off my list of rankings and, and move across. And tiers give you that opportunity to sort of have a vertical board and a horizontal board. You might have one guy in one tier running back and you're on the clock and you might have four guys in the wide receiver tier and you think, well, which way do I go? How do you use your rankings to define your tiers? Because you you obviously are looking at the players and you're thinking, okay, I think 
you know, uh, Hill's going to be up there in the top three wide receivers. And then how do you define the tiers in between? Do you look at previous scoring, previous performance and previous uh, and target shares? Or is it a, a bit a case of gut feel based on your years of experience? Like how, do you, how do you define the tiers? It's mostly like I know some people like to do tiering where they group together similar types of players, certain uh, profiles like, uh, you know, maybe with wide receivers, they group the um, sort of possession third down receiver. They group the Cole Beasley's, Jamison Crowder's, uh, the the third down slot receiver. Uh, I shouldn't say third down slot receiver possession types together or um you know they have other sort of phylums i guess that they're grouping these players into i just tend to do it as like i look for drop-off points where are certain bits of the rankings uh parts where it's flat where i don't necessarily care if i'm getting the running back five or the running back eight because i think those four guys are are very similar and i'd almost rather be getting the last one, letting other people make that decision for me rather than taking the first one there. Um, And like, I don't know that there are that many tiers for me, I guess at any position, maybe you can find if it's a a single uh, onesie position, like quarterback or tight end, maybe there are uh, two or three significant drop-off points where it, it, you know, the talent clearly goes down a level and at running back and receiver, maybe it's four or five such points. But I think there are some clear spots where I think uh, you just drop from one level to the next. The gap between players is larger than it is in other spots. And, uh, you know, I just kind of like to highlight those areas for myself. And I should probably do more to uh, make people aware of you know, where I think those points are. Mm. I think, I think it's tricky. I especially look at the wide receiver position and you could realistically have a tier around that sub wide receiver two into like the wide receiver four range. And you could have 20 guys who could be split by 18 to 20 fantasy points realistically over a season. Like it's so deep. And at that point, so thin that you could have realistically a tier there of 20 guys. It's it's not inconceivable because it's so, I mean, I, I was going through my projections and I was looking and I was like, wow, I've gotten to the point where I've got wide receivers around the end of the wide receiver three range into the wide receiver four tier. And they're being split by like decimals of a point or mm-hmm. a couple of points because it is, it is so thin, a catcher, it, it literally one play could elevate a guy from at the end of the season from wide receiver 30 to wide receiver 23. And you look at it and the context of that player changes massively. Um, we saw it a couple of years ago. I can't remember who it was, but someone caught a late touchdown in week 17 to elevate them up into that wide receiver two conversation and it changed and then you hear it the next week or the next season it's like so and so finished as the you know as a wide receiver too and you're like yeah we did it on the last play of a really meaningless game like he wasn't there all season uh kyle rudolph is another example i think a tight end he had a monster week 16 i think and uh a few seasons back and he went from being a wide uh, tight end 25 
to tight end eight. <laughs> and it was like, oh, well, you know, he was a tight end one. You're like, he had one good game. <laughs> and he just elevated it because it is so close at stages. When you have elements like that, do you just tell people or do you, when you put your, your you think it is what it is? And if I miss, like if I have a guy who I think is going to be wide receiver 30 and he's wide receiver 50, like it is what it is because it's that close. Or do you have ways that you, you know, you, you, cause you, you know, he, he, you're pretty good at this thing and you uh, rank very highly. You're the, you know, you, you do this, you know, better than most on the planet. How do you get it to the point where you, where it is so close? You you go with those decisions to get it right, at least a significant amount of the time. Yeah, I, I hear you, Murph. And and when we're splitting hairs like that, I mean, it's it sounds strange when you uh, pride yourself on precision of rankings, but sometimes you just kind of throw your hands in the air and say, you know, there's really not much separation here. And uh, you know, if someone's asking me which person I prefer, I'm I'm telling them, look, I'm not giving you this choice with any degree of confidence. I think maybe this guy has a 52% chance to outscore, you know, player A has a 52% chance to outscore player B. It, it comes down to that sometimes. And that's really the best we have to work with. You maybe offer some theories why, oh, I think this team's going to be uh, slightly more pass heavy and neutral game scripts, or, uh, you know, I, I, don't like the other receivers as much on this guy's team, which is why I think he might uh, get a little bit bigger target share than player B. But um, yeah, sometimes we are really just sifting through the grains of sand and, and, you know, hoping to find little, little bits of information we can use, but there's, as you mentioned, sometimes it's just not much separating two players. And and again, I guess in that case, it's going back to, what you know versus what you don't know. For example, if you've got a proven commodity over an unproven commodity, you probably give the edge to the guy you know is going to deliver versus the guy who could deliver where it has all the talent and upside, but the situation's a bit more ambiguous. For example, maybe fade players are associated with rookie quarterbacks. I guess those sort of things help you make those tiebreaker decisions. Are there any sort of major ones? If you have people who were doing rankings at home and we're in that, close to a dead heat and like, well, I've got a couple of guys here all in a group that they could use as a, as a tiebreaker. Man. Um, like I always, athleticism is a big thing for me, especially the younger a player is and the smaller his track record is, the more I'll look at like the athleticism, but you know, n- not to the exclusion of uh, college achievement. Of course, it's all sort of part of the resume. Um, Boy, I mean, that's really just dependent on uh, any number of variables, Murph. Kind of hard to pin those down, and it sort of depends on the position, too. Uh, another one, I mean, I think the obvious one is, like, hit your wagon to good offenses. I mean, if you're close on two players between, uh, you know, the, the New York Jets and the Kansas City Chiefs, I can't think of who might be uh, in a similar tier, but if you're choosing between... McCall Harbin and... Corey Davis or Denzel Mims, for example. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it makes a little more sense to go for the player in the prolific offense. So, um, you know, touchdown, touchdown likelihood is a big thing. And if, if you're talking about a team like the Lions or the Texans, who are destined to be one of the, the bottom 10 offensive teams, if not bottom five, um, you know, you've, you've got to be projecting a pretty big share of, the 
carries or targets to uh, have someone from one of those teams ranked in the range where you would maybe expect to start them a fair number of times in the season. So um, yeah, generally better to, to tether yourself to strong offenses. I think that's yeah, great advice. We're going to come back to this because we're going to, I'm going to list some players. We're going to talk through where you've got them ranked, uh, where they are versus consensus um, about maybe a couple of the reasons why you have them over and over. And finally, we can talk about Jonathan Taylor because the last time we were on, we were getting ready to talk about it and I had a power cut and all of a sudden we couldn't talk about Jonathan Taylor. And um, yeah, but I'm keen to hear your thoughts and, and, and talk about some players who cause a lot of divided opinions and hear where you've got them ranked over consensus and, and go through that. But we are a week away from uh, the Scott Fish Bowl. Um, which is officially or unofficially the start of the fantasy football season, I think, for most people in, in the industry. Um, tell us a little bit about who you're, who you're with this year in your division and uh, what division you're in and where, where you're picking from. Yeah, so we've got the musical theme this year. And, uh, you know, going back to even high school, R.E.M. has, uh, you know, long been my, my favorite band. So I'm in the REM division and, uh, you know, there's some other good analysts, uh, Kevin Tompkins, uh, Jax Falcone, uh, Herms, Charles Herman, I believe is his full name. Um, You know, I'm familiar with all those guys and have uh, bantered with them on Twitter before. But I mean, the star of the division is an actual member of REM himself. Uh, Bassist Mike Mills. I didn't know that. Yeah, he Mills played in the Scott Fishball for the first time last year. He's just a big sports fan, uh, loves the Atlanta Braves baseball team. I believe he went to the University of Georgia. So he's a big Georgia Bulldogs guy. Uh, I think he's a Falcons fan. Not totally sure about that. Um, so wow, Mills played in it last year, and he was actually in our chat for uh, – we were both picking in the ninth slot. So he was in a big group chat with all the one Oh nines. And you know, this year he is headlining the REM division and he's picking number one and I'm picking right behind him at number two. So uh, it's going to be fun and and quite an honor to be playing in a division with someone whose music I've been listening to almost my, my entire life. That's absolutely amazing. You've actually got a good friend of mine in your division, uh, Ben, Ben Burridge, uh, at Grid Irony UK. Yeah, so that's he's a- right. I knew we had a, another uh, Englishman in our division too. So he's already apologized in advance for uh, if he screws us up with the time difference and right. uh, is slow to make a pick. But yeah, that's uh, we have a great division. I'm really excited about it. He, he's gaming you there. I'll tell you now. He's, he's a very <laughs> active player. He's not going to do that. Um, uh, Ben's terrific. I play in a lot of, quite a lot of leagues with Ben and uh, yeah, he's a, uh, He's a sharp player. You, you better watch out. I think he, he's going to be a surprise in that division for sure. Um, I mean, and you're picking from the two spot, I believe. Yes. So, you know, this year, for those who don't know about the Scott Fish Bowl, um, so it's typically a, a quite a unique league in terms of scoring format. Uh, it's a tight end premium. There's some hinky scoring with the quarterback. So, uh, quarterback incompletions earn negative points, quarterback sacks earn negative points. There's 
points for running back first downs. Um, there's all sorts of scoring in there that makes it a, a real challenge. This year, Scott has added kickers, um, which it's not kickers as you would know it because it's actually points for field yard, uh, field goal yardage. So, for example, if someone kicks a 39-yard field goal, it's 3.9 points. Is that? Yeah. So all of a sudden, having those that kick indoors and kick a lot is a significant advantage at the position. So again, there's another element to get involved rather than just picking a load of guys at the end of the draft or picking them up off of free agency. So with that, with the 102, you're obviously in the group chats. What's your sort of thinking from that slot? Um, Because I guess it's really tricky, you would expect, I guess, in... I mean, mostly you'd say CMC would come off the board first. I don't think that's going to be the case uh, in the Scott Fishbowl. So what are you thinking is going to happen in those first two picks? And I don't want you to give away who you're going to pick, but just what what might be in consideration for you there and and talk a little bit about maybe potential roster construction and and what you're kind of thinking your team build might look like. Yeah, I don't mind giving away uh, strategy, Murph. Um, So... I have seen in the Scott Fishbowl mock drafts that the top three have typically been, uh, and I can't remember the exact order. I think it was Christian McCaffrey, Patrick Mahomes, and then Travis Kelsey, because we've got tight ends uh, premium scoring where normally for running backs and receivers, it's half a point for a reception or a first down for tight ends. It's a full point for a first down or a reception. Um, I tend to not like the the build of my roster when I go tight end early. I actually did it last year with George Kittle. It didn't really work out from a health perspective, uh, <laughs> which was kind of the story my entire season. Actually, I had a lot of injury mm. issues. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I've I've pretty much uh, narrowed it down to either Patrick Mahomes or Christian McCaffrey, and I'll have to see which. Uh, which guy our, our friend from REM takes and leaves me with. So he's making that choice for me. And uh, I have sort of not been real aggressive with quarterback, despite the super flex format in past years. So part of me would like to get Mahomes right away and maybe not have to worry about picking that second quarterback uh, anytime real soon after that. Part of me would also like to get that super premium running back knowing full well that uh, it's going to be a parade of running backs going after my pick. And that by the time it gets back to me late in the second round, there's not going to be, you know, much in the running back one running back two category remaining. So um, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, one of those problems is going to be solved and one is going to be uh, exacerbated depending on what Mike Mills does in front of me. Um, And as far as strategy, the other twist this year, Murph, is the third round reversal. So instead of me getting uh, that late second and then coming right back with an early third, there's going to be a little space between my second and third round picks. I'll have to rethink that a bit. But um, it did not escape my notice last year that my... uh, my now colleague at football guys, Anthony Amico was the very last person in a 1200 person Scott fishbowl draft to take a running back. And Anthony Amico was the leading scorer in the regular season last year. So he pounded the wide receivers. And I tend to think there's value at wide receiver 
people perceive that the Scott Fish scoring uh, increases the value of running backs and tight ends. And I think they also operate under the faulty assumption that receiver is deep. Um, I mean, it's deep that there are a lot of people you can plausibly throw in your starting lineup. It's not deep that there are a lot of receivers you can plausibly throw in your starting lineup and expect to get a lot of points from. So um, I have a feeling I'm going to have a pretty wide receiver heavy build this year. Um, and boy, if someone wants to leave Stefan Diggs or Tyreek Hill for me at uh, 211, I would only be too thrilled to take one of those guys. See, I think it's very tricky. So I'm in the who division um, because it's my favorite band. So just like you picked your favorite, I picked mine. Uh, Andy Barron's in mine uh, from Yahoo. So uh, it's been fun getting to know him. And a lot of, we got a lot of first timers in our group, which is is amazing to see. Um, And I'm at the 106 because exactly of that third round reversal, because I was like, last year I picked at the 12 spot and I was like, I want to be on the turn and I want to try and force action. And actually you find out that's not possible um, because there's so many different strategies in play and there's so many different things. And the problem is, is if you go for a position and then, for example, you fade quarterback and then it gets pounded, you really are struggling. And then you're so far behind the eight ball at quarterback, you almost have to fade quarterback completely and then just pick two guys up and it, it didn't really work out well as a build. And then everyone I picked got injured. So similar to you. So I thought I want to go in the sixth spot because third round reversal doesn't really make a difference. It doesn't impact the way I can look at the board. Now I know typically people don't like to pick in the middle, but I think this year is a pretty good year for it. Not just in the Scott fishbowl, but in most, um, in most leagues, because for me, it's fascinating. There seems to be this this consensus as we always get the top few picks, and then you get this run of running backs in, in normal leagues. Don't know what's going to happen in the Scottish Bowl. I'm kind of contemplating. Um, I'm looking at the 106, thinking it might be Lamar Jackson or Dak Prescott at that position and take a premium quarterback. And then looking at that 207 pick and thinking, and in the mocks they've been doing, Darren Waller falls there. I think, well, there's part of me that likes that build. But then it's, as you say, you don't get that premium running back. So the, when I've been doing those builds in the mocks, I've been getting – I've done it a few different ways. I've been getting Chris Carson as my running back one. I don't know how much of an appetite I have for Chris Carson being my running back one, <laughs> given the fact that he, I have no confidence he's going to play 17 games this season. Um, <laughs> so then you're sitting there thinking you do get Michael Thomas and then you get a few really good pieces later on. But yeah, I, I think it's a struggle, but I have had in those mocks Dalvin cook for the one Oh six. So then you think, well, okay, do you pass on the elite quarterback? And I've done builds with cook and Waller there. And then your running back, your quarterbacks end up being Kirk cousins and like big Ben, for example, which isn't ideal. It's a real head scratcher. It all depends on when the the QB runs happen. Cause I've seen some mocks where you can see seven quarterbacks come off the board in round two. Yeah. Um, and I've seen some where it's like two. So it's, it's an interesting philosophy, but I do like the, the one Oh five, one Oh six, one Oh seven spot this year, because I think that's the spot at the moment where there's, 
an element of control in the sense of nothing's going to get too far away from you in any draft. If there's a huge run, you've got that opportunity to pivot. You've got that opportunity to get on board if there's a guy in your tier. So I think likely if you're thinking about running back, if you're looking to do like, say, a running back, running back starting build, you can get two pretty good guys there that you'd be very happy with. Maybe like a Zeke and um, you follow that up with maybe like a Gibson, if he's still there and like a Zeke Gibson start in a normal league would be quite, quite a decent start. And then you can pound wide receiver or, you know, you could get a top guy in the second round. I mean, with all the uncertainty, Devontae Adams is falling almost into that range. I think he probably will fall into that range. So I quite like that spot, but it is tricky. And last question on the Scott Fishbowl scoring. Have you thought about when you might take a kicker? I have. Um, I probably will take one, and I I might even be somewhat aggressive about it because there are um, penalties for missed kicks in this one. And, uh, you know, you don't want to be the guy who's starting – Mason Crosby in the game two, three years ago when he missed what four field goals five, against the Detroit. Yeah. Five <laughs> was it? Five? Yeah, yeah. missed um, a lot. So, <laughs> so I, I think there are a limited number of kickers I would want to consider. I would want someone super accurate, Justin Tucker, uh, Jason Sanders, Matt Prater, Yang Hoku. Um, you know, guys who are not streaky as far as missing kicks. So uh, I would, you know, definitely. And I think there was someone who posted about this and indicated that um, in a typical game, kickers under this scoring format could score pretty well relative to uh, a third receiver type or a Mm -hmm. committee back type. So it's, I think it's worth considering the, uh, starting a kicker in a, a, one of the flex spots, like there's something worthwhile to that. And, you know, I'm not going to be too embarrassed to be one of the first guys to, to maybe pull the trigger on a kicker. No, I'm with you. I'm saying this to um, one of our five yard colleagues earlier that he was thinking, well, what I might do is just fade kicker and just pick a couple of guys. Cause there's guys going undrafted. And I'm like, I think that's a big mistake because I think there is a significant advantage there's a real tier of kickers. If you get one of those top three guys, it's a significant points advantage. I think it's now this scoring format lends it almost similar to the tight end kind of situation where you've got a very elite group at the top. That's very small. A couple of guys, maybe then you get this drop into guys who are solid and they'll do a good job. And you're quite happy to have one of those guys on your roster. And then you just get this pit of, everything else i am very much looking forward to seeing fantasy twitter erupt this season (laughs) when people lose to the team that had the kicker who kicked six field goals or when uh someone loses because of the kicker who misses three (laughs) field goals it's going to be a lot of fun to watch the uh the emotional tides based on kicker results let's put it this way imagine if the scott fishbowl is decided on a missed field goal on Monday Night Football. (laughs) 
Like, can you imagine that? What that person would be feeling like, knowing that they've lost because they, or inversely, their kicker makes a fifty-four-yard field yeah. goal to win the game, the final kick of the season. And somehow, I think Scott Fish himself would be very delighted. <laughs> and. We have to at least mention, Murph, what a what an amazing thing Scott Fish has built. I mean, it's oh. now got a record number of entrants, 1,900 or 1,920, I can't recall. Um, there's even a, a Scott Fish Bowl satellite that has an equal number of players in that. Like, it's become popular. I mean, you know, I'm playing with a member of REM who, who wanted to get in, and there are other actors and um, it's, it's just become such a cool thing. It goes to, uh, a charitable cause. Scott Fish used to have it be for, um, Fantasy Cares, which sort of, uh, fed into the Toys for Tots charity that brought, bought a Christmas present for underprivileged kids. But last year, Scott sort of expanded it because there were a lot of social justice charities launching. And he just said, you know, make a donation to the charity of your choice and the, the, name of the Scott Fishbowl. And, um, you know, it's just such a cool thing that, uh, you know, everyone is having this much fun playing in the Scott Fishbowl, talking about the Scott Fishbowl, and yet it's also raising money for a good cause. Absolutely. And listen, if you didn't get in this year, do keep applying. The field expands every year. So even if you didn't get in this year, play in the satellite, get involved, um, I'm going to be on the Podathon, which is something I never thought would happen. Um, but Sal's going to let us loose. Luckily, the luckily the you know they do it for 24 hours, and someone has to come on at the half four Eastern time <laughs> slot, which for me is breakfast time. So happy day! So I'm really looking forward to to being part of something I've watched for years and never been part of. So um, it's going to be terrific, and and support it by any means. And I'm lucky enough to have benefited from meeting some wonderful people through playing this and and being part of of the wonderful thing that scott fish has built um but inversely i think probably the greatest thing of it is the amount of charity leagues that have now come off the back of this you know we do one lots of other great folk are doing are doing charity leagues all over the place and now you know we're talking about raising hundreds of thousands of, of dollars hundreds of thousands of pounds for charity every single year and it's like we're all just giving back in some great way, a small but great way that, you know, what we're doing is is impacting lives just by playing fake football. It's amazing. It really <laughs> we can sleep. We can sleep well at night knowing that we're doing some good <laughs> with our with our sickness and our hobby. Um, so let's talk about some players who, um, you know, some rankings of, of players uh, who who you might have ranked and. Uh, Let's start with Jonathan Taylor because we never got to have that debate in in full. Um, where you know, when last time you were on, you were very bullish about Jonathan Taylor and about you know his finish in this. He can be that bell cow. And do you still have that belief that he is, you know, a strong, strong RB one? Where are you got him ranked right now? What What are your kind of thoughts on it, or have they changed as the off season has gone on, and you've sort of dug into it a bit more? So right now, I have him running back five. Uh, you know, behind McCaffrey, Cook, Kamara, Derrick Henry, and then I think it's kind of a, a tier below those four. Uh, it might even be two tiers of of two in those first four with. Uh, McCaffrey and Cook sort of 
on a tier by themselves and then uh, the Camara Henry tier. Then I think there's some ambiguity with the next group, which is Jonathan Taylor, Saquon Barkley coming off the, the devastating, the unholy trinity of, of knee uh, injuries with the ACL tear, the uh, MCL strain and the, um, uh, oh man, uh, torn meniscus. Yeah, I think that's it. And then Ezekiel Elliott, who, you know, didn't look great at times last year, but, you know, as, as my buddy Rich Rebar pointed out, did have a, a more, a better success rate as measured by football outsiders than Tony Pollard did. It's just that Tony Pollard broke a few more big plays, much higher percentage of big plays. Um, you know, and you could throw some other people there, Cam Akers, some people are getting back on the Joe Mixon train after being, uh, you know, burned by him in the past. Uh, I guess the fair criticisms of drafting Taylor in the top half of the first round would be, what does his usage in the passing game look like, especially now that Philip Rivers, a guy who really liked to throw to his running backs, is no longer there? Um does he lose any carries with Marlon Mack returning who, you know, when we opened the season last year, we saw Mack playing ahead of Jonathan Taylor. Um, It might be problematic that there's never really been a running back to make a successful return from a torn Achilles. Like it's the history of that has not been great. And uh, you know, I I don't think there's much question. Taylor is a much better back than Marlon Mack. So I'm not too worried about that part of the equation. I guess what you can say is that there's a pretty safe floor there with a guy who is as talented as Jonathan Taylor was. We saw that with his uh, phenomenal second half of the 2020 season. We saw that in three amazing college seasons at the University of Wisconsin. The talent's just not, you know, you can't question how good Jonathan Taylor is. He's an amazing player. And he's going to have one of the best offensive lines in the league. So running back five might seem too high if there are some concerns about the usage. But I think the way I like to play, um, you know, I just I don't want to whiff in the first round, Murph. I I want safety and I'm okay with uh, drafting. I mean, I guess I don't want to be drafting fifth or sixth in typical one quarterback leagues. It's a really tricky spot. Um, I'm okay with drafting Jonathan Taylor fifth or sixth and having him finish RB 10. I can live with that. You know, at at RB 10, I'm still starting him every week and having a lot of really good weeks from him. Um, I just don't want to whiff. And I think barring injury, Taylor is pretty, pretty whiff proof, pretty bust proof. See, I just, I can't take Taylor over, over Zeke. It's just, there's just no way in my universe that can happen. And by the way, I'm a massive, when he came out of college, I was about as big a Jonathan Taylor fan as there was. He was my RB1 pre-draft. And my issue with him is the usage. It is the fact that what we saw down the stretch was phenomenal, don't get me wrong, but came with unique opportunity to... You know, first of all, there was no Mac. And and I don't think Mac's a big thing, but he's a thing. They didn't have to re-sign him. They could have bought anyone off the street, but they bought Mac back, which says to me there's a role for Mac. 
there is going to be some role, whether it's a 20% of the role, 15% of the role. It's not going to eat out of Naheem Hines' share. I think he, what he is, is locked in. I think that's my worry uh, for Taylor. And, and the way that Frank Wright coming from that Doug Pedersen tree of, I don't have to have one back. And it's the same thing that, you know, it's the same reason I've got the same, I had the same knock on Miles Sanders. I don't doubt the talent. I didn't, the, the talent is there. It's about with the way that the coaches scheme and the way that they, they utilize and value the position. I can't see that workhorse. Right. I think you're right. I think he, you know, he is a relatively safe commodity to finish a low end RB one. If he finishes, as you say, in that 10 to 12 range, I think that's, likely to happen i think then it comes down to how you want to play the game if you want to play with that conservatism and i'm a bit like that i can understand that logic i think a lot more than than drafting him as the rb5 thinking he's going to be the rb5 because i just i don't see a path to him being the rb5 unless Hines and matt go then all bets are off this guy could probably be the rb1 based on talent with that line and everything else and we know that Zeke does have that track record of, of finishing as a top three guy in multiple seasons. Um, I guess the one thing I would maybe push back a little on um, and, oh, the other thing, the other great selling point with Zeke is just that Dallas should have one of the best offenses in the league. Um, yeah. Provided they get a little bit better injury luck on their offensive line uh, and with Dak, obviously. The, the one thing I might push back on, Jason Garrett loved to pound Zeke. He loved to give him 20-plus carries a game. Mm. Uh, back when Mike McCarthy was coaching the Packers, uh, you know, there used to be a, a free Aaron Jones hashtag on Twitter. Yeah, uh, you know, he sometimes frustrated people by the amount of work he gave to Jamal Williams. Um, and Tony Pollard has shown he's pretty good. So maybe we see a little... Tony Pollard cutting into Zeke. I don't think there's uh, a committee situation brewing in Dallas. No chance of that. Um, you know, and the other thing is that just Zeke has some some mileage on the odometer. It's uh, you know he's been he's been used heavily. Some guys age better than others. Um, yeah, I'm not really downgrading him because of that. Um, I am a little concerned that he didn't always look that sharp last year but again there were a lot of problems with the Dallas offense overall I mean Andy Dalton sort of uh shrinks the field and and brings those safeties closer to the line of scrimmage and the offensive line was dealing with a lot of injuries so um totally understand it I basically have Taylor Zeke and Barkley on one tier lumped together I I you know, can't argue vehemently against anyone who wants to take any of those three over the other two. So, um, you know, I totally understand the point. And I think I think our first four are, are pretty similar. You know, McCaffrey, Cook, Henry, Kamara. You know, I think you know, as you say, I think for me, McCaffrey's in a tier of his own. I think it's a pretty easy one oh one. I think Cook is in a tier of his own. If you don't get McCaffrey, you take Cook. I think that makes complete sense. Um, Kamara and, and Henry, that's just, I think down to how you want to play it up and maybe, you know, and some people are fading Kamara fearing Taysom Hill's going to get the job and what might happen. I kind of get that because you, again, you don't want to whiff on that, but I think, I, I don't think that's going to be too much to worry about. So then you're getting 
you're going to have this run. We expect sort of eight running backs potentially going off the board in a row at the start of the draft. And then you're starting getting into this conversation of wide receiver Travis Kelsey, I think, goes in the first round now, which I understand. I never really was for that. And I'm pretty similar to you. I don't play that way. But now I get the positional advantage that Travis Kelsey gives you over the rest of the field and the fact that he's a top five scoring wide receiver in his own right and it's a safe floor. I, I get that now. I I didn't in previous years, but now I, I kind of get it. What about Devontae Adams? What's going on with, you know, with, with Aaron Rodgers? He's, I mean, everyone's kind of, you know, you're, you're a Green Bay fan. I, I personally don't, I'm not worried about Aaron Rodgers. I think he's going to play. I think he's going to play for the Packers. I can't see him retiring. I can't see him getting traded. <laughs> I don't think he's there that long. I think this could be the last season, but I, you know, we're only talking about this season. Are you, are you worried about the Aaron Rodgers situation? And as a result, are you going to fade Adams or are you thinking this is just going to be one of those things that everyone's made a big deal out of, but actually it's just going to get resolved and go away very quietly, very quickly. I think I'm less worried about the possibility of Rodgers leaving, or I think it's less of a, a, chance than a lot of people. I think it's 80 to 90% likely he starts for the Packers in week one. Uh, I just read there's apparently some sort of contractual clause or something. I I don't know. In NFL rule, like if Rodgers decides to, by the end of this week, I think it's July 2nd is the deadline. He could just say he's not going to play in the NFL this season and it would somehow protect the vast majority of his contract remaining. So it would save him like more than $10 million. I don't think that's really Roger's first uh, concern. I mean, he's uh, made a lot of money. He's going to make a lot of money in his uh, future years. He's probably going to make a lot of money in hosting Jeopardy or doing whatever after uh, his NFL career. And he's about to marry a Hollywood starlet. So uh, in Shailene Woodley. So I don't think money is really an issue for him. And I don't think a trade is likely. I mean, this is just sort of my own theory on this, but the Packers have this unique ownership structure. They've got a general manager who answers to a team president who is part of a seven member executive committee, which is a subset of a 40 some person board of directors. It's uh who are representing fans like me, Murph, who actually has a stock certificate that uh, I was given for my birthday like 20 years ago. That's amazing. It is. So, um, yeah, uh, it doesn't really allow me to call any of the shots, but uh, (laughs) I, I kind of think it would take a lot of consensus among all these people at the top of the hierarchical, the hierarchy in the food chain in the organization to let a second Hall of Fame quarterback leave under unhappy circumstances. Brett Favre already left unhappily and went to the Packers' most hated rival. I'll say it. I hate the Vikings more than (laughs) – I don't even hate the Bears. I do hate the Vikings. Um, And seeing Favre go to the Vikings and then beat the Packers in his first – start against them as a member of the Vikings was just like one of the worst moments of my Packer fandom ever. Um, I don't think they're going to let Aaron Rodgers also leave unhappily. Uh, I think 
Matt LaFleur and, and team president Mark Murphy have already flown out to try to mend fences. Um, and I think ultimately Rogers is not going to hold out. I just don't see him doing it this late in his career when he knows his uh, biological clock is ticking. I think he still has things he wants to accomplish in the league before he, uh, you know, crosses the age threshold into his forties and there's not yeah. much time. And also you know, that, that, let's get this right. Like he's not going to Denver. Like he's just, I, I get everyone's excited. They got great offensive weapons. Nobody's dream is to go and be a quarterback for Vic Fangio. Like that's not a dream. <laughs> that is not something people want. And this whole thing of him going to Denver, I don't get it. I get it if you are, if he's waving, if, if a team, like, for example, if the 49ers hadn't drafted Trey Lance and they were really in it and that was a real conversation with the fact he's a Californian kid and that team is a, it's a great roster. If, if they, we were talking about the 49ers, not Denver, I go, mm, do you know what? There's probably a bit in that. I can see it. I can't with them. I can't imagine he'd go and uproot his life. And I know Green Bay isn't big, and I know it's not like uh, it's you know it's a very small place. And I know Denver is bigger, but it, that team's not ready to compete. It's in a division that they've got virtually no chance of winning, even with Aaron Rodgers. I just don't. I don't see it. It's not <laughs> like. I just think is as you say, he's got limited time left in the NFL, and I don't think he's going to put his future career at risk of being a, a quote-unquote complicated fella like that <laughs> I, yes, don't think, uh, I don't think he's going to put his future revenue at stake because no one wants to be the guy who holds out and holds a team to ransom you know it's not a good look you run down your contract you go to free agency people get that you know Tom Brady did it no one resents Tom Brady for after 20 years running you know getting the free agency and picking his his move away wanted to go because he did it the right way. He told the guys he's not signing a new deal. I'm off. It makes sense. But anytime someone holds out, it never goes well. Lev Bell has never been the same player since he held out. Like it doesn't, it doesn't go well. And he, he won't be received well as a host of Jeopardy or whatever he wants to do is, well, you held out for a year because you got upset that the franchise drafted a, your replacement two years early or whatever. Agreed. Um, and, you know, I, I think Brett Favre is, there's still some Packers fans who hold a grudge against Brett Favre. Um, oh, and Murph, just to answer your question about Adam. So he, of course, would have been my wide receiver one had he uh, had this Rodgers thing not come up. I'm hedging a little bit because I think Stefan Diggs and Tyreek Hill are close enough that if there's any sort of ambiguity, because Lord knows it would be a disaster for Adams if Jordan Love were quarterbacking the Packers in week one. Um, his chances of finishing in wide receiver one range would be severely diminished. So I am hedging a bit. I dropped into wide receiver three between Diggs, uh, behind Diggs and Hill. But, um, you know, a, a small hedge. I, mean, I know some people that have dropped him out of the top 10 thinking like a trade is imminent. And I think that's silly. Yeah. I mean, judge it when it happens or if it's about to happen yeah i i get that i i've i've still held firm i've still held him as one i just i'm treating that situation as that like as i saw it during 
my projection process that Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Packer. He's going to play this season. What happens after this season is is another question. Anything can happen, but I, I'm happy to keep him at one for now. And as you say, if we, if this is still dredging on in in preseason, I will re I will rethink the situation. But I think it will get resolved um, at some point. Let's talk about guys going just after. So if you look at where Adams is now, he's going sort of in that second round. You're getting a nice discount on him. Uh, if you want to go zero RB and you're at the tail end of the first, you could you could win the lottery by getting either one of Kelsey or Dix <laughs> and then picking up Adams after that. I mean, it's it's about as good a position as you can be if you are a zero RB truther. But let's look at guys going just after that. So Antonio Gibson, Austin Eckler. Um what are your views on on these guys? Because personally, I find them very difficult to to differentiate, even though they're obviously very different backs. And I know you've got sort of Cam Akers in there as well. But do we – I mean, I, I know Antonio Gibson's kind of going after Austin Eckler, but do we think that they are – I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on them? Because I, I personally think that right now, Antonio Gibson going as the RB13 is just a little too soft. Like, I've got him significantly over that. I think it's, it's a discount, whereas Austin Eckler's going at RB10. Yeah, I I think I initially had Eckler ranked ahead of Gibson, but I've since reversed, and now I've got Gibson at 11 and Eckler at 13. Um the interesting thing, Murph, about Gibson is that I think people believed, given his unique background in college, that he had, what, 30-some carries, uh, that people thought his way to find himself in the NFL was going to be as a third down back, as a, a passing down guy, and that eventually he would start to uh, grow into a larger share of the rushing duties. I mean, very unexpected that it wound up with him being the primary rusher for the Washington football team and was not the primary passing down back that JD McKissick got all this work. So um, obviously like pass catching is something he can do and, and do well. Like there's this college resume he has of, of having done that. And um, yes, JD McKissick is still there. I do think it's reasonable to think there's going to be more passing game work for Gibson. They didn't really add any significant talent at running back in the offseason. I mean, uh, they have Jared Patterson, who some people liked as a prospect, but he's sort of a poor man's Devin Singletary, a small back who doesn't really catch passes or at least didn't in college. Um, so, yeah, and and what we saw from Gibson was just so spectacular last year. Um, I know the expected, uh, the touchdown count was greater than the expected touchdown count based on a number of the, the people who do that based on, you know, how many carries a player had and where they were on the field and what running backs typically score from certain points. Like I know he outkicked his touchdown expectation, um, but this Washington defense is really good. I think there might be more favorable game scripts for Washington. They might be able to run the ball even more frequently than they did last year. Um, and he's just an exciting talent. I like Eckler too, but I think the rushing upside is limited because I don't think 
I think they always want someone to share that rushing load with him, whether it's Justin Jackson or, uh, you know, Josh Kelly, who wasn't that good as a rookie. No. Um, they spent another draft pick on, on Larry Roundtree from <laughs> Missouri. Uh, so I think one or two of those three guys is going to be mixed in along with Eckler. Eckler is going to own most of the passing down work. Um, you know, it's a healthy role. I have no problem drafting Eckler at or near the first, second round turn. Um, really good player, safe, you know, barring injury. I think he's a safe asset. Um, but, you know, he's just, they're not going to give him 250 carries. It's just not going to happen. No, I, exactly that. And, I, and I'm with you. I, I think Gibson's role, and I think the, you know, the one piece is that, he was behind arguably the worst quarterback play in the league last year. Um, that's going to change with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, they're going to move the, the ball a lot. It's going to be a lot of yards scored on that Washington offense. I do like the fact that, as you say, they're going to get ahead, they're going to defend, and then they're going to run the ball. So I think it's great. I, I Again, I love Eckler. I, I'm, again, I'm happy to take Eckler in the second round. I just think, he's, as you say, he's safe. Um, PPR formats, he's going to put up good numbers. In standard, it goes down a little bit. But um, as you say, pretty safe workload. He's going to be involved in in everything. And and I think he'll rebound back from the injury well. In between those guys is Joe Mixon. As you say, obviously, he's burned people in the past. But, you know, they, they still haven't added. In fact, they've decreased from their backfield in the sense of, they experience backup Giovanni Bernard is now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They don't have a lot of experience behind mixing. You have a couple of sixth round draft choices vying for the backup role um, behind him. And you have an exciting offense there at the fact that now I think last season Mixon was overpriced. I think, you know, we're talking about, he was going at the nine, uh, you know, one Oh nine, one ten. You know, clearly that was never going to return the value. I faded him heavily because of that. I didn't believe he was there. But now he's available mid-second, late-second. I'm somewhat interested because I think the upside is there. And if I've got someone who I know is steady, dependable, and safe, I'm perhaps slightly more inclined to gamble, given the fact his range of outcomes could be anywhere from a top four running back to, you know, an absolute bust through injury. So what, what what are your thoughts on Mixon? I think I have a similar view of him, Murph. I think we're of uh, one mind on this. Yes. He's burned some people in the past. Um, It's, it's nice that Giovanni Bernard is gone for him. Like that's, it opens him up for a greater share of the uh, running back targets there. I don't know that they're going to be, a ton of running back targets given how good the receivers are in Cincinnati. But then again, um, at LSU, we saw Joe Burrow throw to Clyde Edwards, Hilaire quite a bit. So, you know, it's nice that he doesn't have that uh, top level backup. Although people have been talking up rookie Chris Evans is a, you know, nice prospect, but I mean, come on, he's not going to challenge Joe Mixon. It should be a pretty good offense. Um, I do worry about the offensive line. You know, they, they had a chance to improve it by taking Panay Sewell over Jamar Chase. They chose to go with the receiver. Um, you know, a lot of people like that, that they 
chose to have this just ridiculously good group of receivers and, and maybe uh, I've heard it reason that that helps mix in more because no one's ever going to crowd the line of scrimmage and the rushing lanes are going to be bigger. It actually, you know, is better than having a really good offensive lineman. Not quite sure if I buy that, but um, so yeah, there are reasons to like Mixon. Uh, health has been a bit of an issue. So I'm a little bit nervous about that. I'm a little bit nervous that the offensive line isn't great. Um, and I'm a little bit nervous that game scripts aren't always going to be positive and run friendly for the Bengals this year. Um, and also that they've shown a proclivity to be very pass heavy and neutral uh, game script, neutral situations. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence, but I, I do think early second round running back 14 is there. Uh it seems like that's a good spot for him. Yeah. I think um, the thing that gives me a bit of confidence is, you know, prior to him going down, he was the running back four on the season. He had some very good games early on um, in that, in that lineup with Joe, you know, with, with Joe Burrow, obviously the unfortunate thing was he went down, I think week yeah. four, week five, like it was early, but you know, he did really come out of, I mean, I think week one was pretty poor, but weeks two, three, four, five were really strong, really, either, really strong performance. Either week four or week five was that three touchdown game against Dallas, whose yeah. defense was just a train wreck at the time and, and Mixon ripped them apart. Um, yeah, I think that was the highlight of my Scott Fishball season and otherwise <laughs> disastrous season. I had Mixon, George Kittle had like, 200 yards that day. And I think I had Odell Beckham go for three touchdowns that day too. Didn't he throw um, one in that game? He did throw one. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. that was a, that was a crazy week. And that was, that was Mixon's big game that really pushed him up the scoring. Uh, but yeah, then I think it was the next week that he got hurt after that Dallas game. And, um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it looked pretty good in uh, early last season for quite a while. And maybe we'll get that again uh, over a longer stretch of time this year. Yeah, I, I, I sure hope so. I do like him as a player. It's just, again, whether or not you can put it all together for, for 16 weeks. Let's talk about Tennessee for a second. Um, so AJ Brown, a lot of people were forecasting him to potentially join Diggs and, uh, and Adams and Hill in that tier. Now they go and get Julio Jones. Have you downgraded? He's going off the board now, wide receiver. Well, he's, his expert consensus ranking is, is wide receiver seven. Do we think that's fair given Julio there, or, or is that being too conservative? I think that's being uh, far too optimistic. I, I know a lot of people said that they weren't going to move A.J. Brown down their rankings or at least not significantly after that trade. I think it's because people just really like A.J. Brown Murph and they sort of looked for excuses not to. Like, yes, Julio Jones is going to be there, but, oh, Arthur Smith is no longer the offensive coordinator, so they might not be as run-heavy as they were. Um, You know, this new offensive coordinator, Todd Downing, I think his one year as an offensive coordinator with the Raiders in 2017, the Raiders were top 10 in percentage of passing plays versus the run. 
I think people were sort of manufacturing excuses not to fall out of love with AJ Brown. He is an efficient receiver. I mean, he's good at uh, the catch and run, which really boosts his yards per target and yards per route run and those efficiency numbers we like. Um, but there's no way he's not going to be hurt by the arrival of Julio Jones. I mean, we could realistically maybe have expected up to what 180, 190 targets for him when he was the, the sole credible receiver in that offense. And, um, Oh gosh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. Who's the Rams receiver who was going to be Josh the Reynolds. Josh Reynolds. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I could see the optimism then, but there's no way that Julio isn't going to be a major part of this offense. And Oh, by the way, Derrick Henry is your running back and he is going to command his 20 plus carries a game. So, um, you know, I've got Julio down at wide receiver 20, uh, AJ Brown at, at wide receiver 12. I mean, in a, in an offense that's going to run the ball too, I, can't see how I can move either of those guys higher. I, I don't think AJ Brown should be a top 10 guy. And, um, you know, I've, I've got to keep Julio in wide receiver two range. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely with you on, on Julio. I have him at, at 21. I'm slightly higher than you on, on AJ Brown, but not much. I have him at eight. Um, I think that we, I've, I think, yeah, we, we resonate here quite a lot because I think, I think with AJ Brown, I think he gets, he still gets his targets. I think he's going to be getting his, his portion. I think Julio helps him than not having anyone because I think it would have been very, very easy to cover AJ Brown, knowing that the guy on the other side is Josh Reynolds, <laughs> which right. is not going to scare anybody. You know, you you could put AJ Brown in triple coverage and literally could take him out of games because it's like okay, it's and he's a good player, he's a very good player, but he's not playing the slot and he's not playing that sort of role where it's easy to manufacture touches to. I think the fact that Julio is there means he's going to get open a bit, but yeah, I, I don't buy this. Uh, you know, wide receiver one hype, and I think as well credit to Tannehill over what he's done over the last two years he's been terrific but you know people do not wait enough that the change in offensive system does not always bring an upturn in fortunes and the Titans are a great example of that you know it'd be great the last two years with Arthur Smith but look at Mar Marcus Mariota behind that you know he had three different offensive coordinators in four years it didn't help him any and I think when you change the offense significantly it's going to be difficult for them to as you say, we're a run first team to really make, to give AJ Brown the ball enough for him to be the standout sort of wide receiver one. But I think he'll be fine. I think he's a safe-ish play, but I don't think he's going to have those peak weeks that I think when I look at players around, if I wanted a safe player in that range, I'd take Alan Robinson, for example. I think like if that that's your choice. It's like, if I want safety, I'll take the guy who does it every single year with worst quarterback play knowing that he's actually might get a better quarterback this year and he might even be better um, over someone like AJ Brown. I think that's if I don't see that upside that people do. I think he's a yeah. safe player. I don't see the, the the high. I don't see him having wide receiver one overall weeks. Right. And, and Alan Robinson is one of the guys who I moved Brown behind. I'd previously had him ahead of 
I think uh, off the top of my head, Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen, Terry McLaurin, and there might have been one other receiver. I, I DK Metcalf. What's that? DK Metcalf. I already had Metcalf ahead of Brown. I think one spot. Uh, or did I? Yeah, they were neck and neck before. But um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's not like it trashes his value by any means. But uh, without that massive target upside, I just think it's going to be a little harder for him to capture his potential ceiling. Even though, as you pointed out, I think his efficiency numbers are probably preserved by the arrival of Julio Jones, helping to command some more of that coverage and not keeping uh, AJ Brown bracketed by defenders all season. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, it's going to be an interesting one, but I, I'm definitely not buying the hashtag AJ Brown wide receiver one uh, story <laughs> that your league mate Kevin Tompkins is going to be spilling as he has done all off season. So <laughs> let let Kevin Tompkins and the Scott Fishbowl take AJ Brown as his first wide receiver and and uh, you out fox in that way. Um, last couple, so there was a bit of a debate, you know, last year and in the start of this off season, uh, JK Dobbins versus Deandre Swift. Um, at points it looked like Swift was going to have the advantage and then Matt Stafford gets traded. Uh, they signed Jamal Williams. They, they've met with Todd Gurley and I think they've kept that one on ice. I, I think that one happens. And then you've got a really complicated backfield again uh, in Detroit. And then you've got JK Dobbins who, showed at times what an elite runner he is but with the way that Baltimore play with their offense it's unlikely he's going to be given the full role and responsibility of being the true back that he is how do you have those guys ranked do you think they're going to be on your teams a lot this season and you know what are your kind of thoughts on on those two because I think they're a real quandary in terms of what's available in that sort of third round. They really are. Um, As of now, Murph, I've got DeAndre Swift running back 16 and Dobbins right behind him at running back 17. And um, yeah, I I know some people would maybe think that's too aggressive. And I know there are other pockets of support for these guys. They're kind of in similar situations in that, um, they've got veterans who are going to cut into their loads. I mean, we've seen that the Ravens like to use Gus Edwards. Um, we've, I, I think the lions have kind of made it clear that they're going to use Jamal Williams. Um, and now there are rumors that they might sign Todd Gurley. I'm not sure if that's going to happen or not, but um, you know, even if it's just Jamal Williams, like Williams, we talked about the the free Aaron Jones hashtag before Williams is I didn't like him very much his first year or two. I thought he was kind of a, a, a jobber, just sort of a guy. And uh, he grew on me over time because he really does everything well. Like he he blocks aggressively. He can catch passes. He can run inside and out. Like he does everything pretty well. And I mean, like Swift left no doubt in my mind about his talent last year. Like he was when he was limited to a passing down role, he was terrific in that other than dropping the game winning catch against the bears in week one. Other than that, he was really good as a pass catcher. And then as they, once they let go of Adrian Peterson and uh, you know, turned over the running game to Swift, he was really good in that role too. Um, 
Dobbins, you know, goes on this run heavy team. And I think on one hand, Lamar Jackson helps him out by being a running threat and making those holes a little bigger. And uh, on the other side of the coin sort of hurts him by being a running threat quarterback, who's going to run in some touchdowns and, and take those off Dobbins plate. So, plus they don't really throw to the backs too much. Dobbins is very talented. Um, I, I think maybe there's a, a safe, pretty safe thousand yard floor there, assuming he plays 15, 16, 17 games. Um, maybe Murph, I, I shouldn't be contradicting my own advice from earlier in the podcast about how, if there are two guys who are pretty close, you should probably go with the better offense. Cause I don't think there's much doubt that the Ravens are going to have a better overall offense than the lions. And yet I've got Swift ranked a, a spot ahead of Dobbins. So Maybe I should revisit it, but I guess if I'm going to pull anything out that could justify it, it's that, uh, you know, I think Scott Barrett's research showed that a a target for a running back is worth like 2.3 times more than a carry is. And I mean, Dobbins usage in the passing game is very, very uncertain, whereas Swift is definitely going to be used in the passing game. And, um, you know, we, a couple of years ago, we're seeing Jared Goff really pepper Todd Gurley with running back targets, and we can hope for the same thing in Detroit. So am I going to have a lot of these guys? I, I think I'm going to, I think I've already drafted each of them in best balls. I don't think I'm going to be overweight on either guy, but I don't think I'm going to be totally out on either guy either. I'm uh yeah, I mean, I, I see the dilemma with these guys, and I, I definitely am not calling it quits on either. But, uh, you know, I'm also not overlooking some of these usage problems either. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at who you can get either side of them, right? So CEH, uh, right about 15 expert consensus ranking, definitely think he's above both these players. Then I'm looking immediately underneath, and I'm looking at Chris Carson, sort of mocked him for his injury concerns, but I do think he's got almost no competition there. Um, not to mention, I think, you know, he's he's earned his way into a significant role. There. It's just whether or not he stays fit. And then you've got Miles Sanders, who I have been down on historically because of that system he's been in. But actually, I quite like this year because I think even though Hertz is going to make it a little bit difficult for him, I just think that there's so little talent on that offense that it's going to have to run through him at some point. And then under that, you've got David Montgomery. And I'm thinking, well, you know, he's probably the most disrespected running back four in the history of fantasy football. Um, yes, he had an easy schedule. Yes, you know, there was no Tyreek Cohen last year. Uh, yes, you know, behind pretty awful quarterback play and that's certainly going to get an upgrade in the second half of the season for sure but the one thing David Montgomery did do was pound the rock pretty well and did take advantage of those matchups and he has a pretty decent schedule it's not too bad this year he's going to have a couple of games I think he's going to blank but give me the give me what you're going to get with David Montgomery over Swift and, 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 and Dobbins this year all day long Yeah, that's a fascinating tier for sure. And I think you summed it up perfectly for me, Murph. That is like my, you know, running back 16. I said Swift 16, Dobbins 17. I think I've got Carson 18. I think um, 
Montgomery is 19 or 20. And who is the other guy we just, Oh, and Sanders, I've got 19. Um, Sanders is really interesting because as you said, uh, who else are they going to give the ball in that offense? I mean, they've, they've added all these running backs, which is interesting, but like carry on Johnson who didn't really <clears throat> work out in Detroit, Jordan Howard, who's got to be close to the end. If he even makes the roster, they did draft Kenneth Gainwell. And I guess that's the one that bothers me a little bit because Sanders was expected to be this passing down. Like that's part of the appeal with him passing downs. And Kenneth Gainwell is probably the best pass catching back in this draft. Um, so that one bothered me a bit, but we did see Miles Sanders really take off as a runner last year after the Eagles inserted Jalen Hurts. Like that opened up lanes. We talked about it with Lamar Jackson opening up lanes for J.K. Dobbins, and I think we saw the same thing happen for Sanders last year. So like you, I'm kind of torn. I like that he comes at a cheaper price this year uh, because if maybe if they hadn't brought in all these backs, maybe if he had been more consistent and you know hadn't had such a sluggish start last year, he'd be a lot more expensive. But right now being able to get him, you know, third, maybe fourth round is uh, a little more palatable. Yeah. You know, he's going off the board, as you say, that sort of uh, three, four turn. And I'm with you. I was never paying mid second for him last year. I thought he was the most overpriced um, player in fantasy football last year. And, you know, the fact that he finished, I think running back 24, running back 25 overall says, says it all. But, you know, the one thing I would say is, is I just think this year is, is it's going to open up for him. I think Montgomery is getting underdrafted. It's an interesting tier, as you say, and I think it's there's going to be some real movement in this tier. And I think it'd be interesting because I actually think when if they sign, if DeAndre Swift signs for, oh sorry, Todd Gurley signs for Detroit, I can see Swift fall like ten spots easily. I just think people will panic there. And 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 I also think on strength of schedule that outside of Aaron Jones, he has the worst schedule of all the running backs. Yes, he's, uh, you know, he doesn't get to go against the Detroit defense in that division. <laughs> that, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even Aaron Jones gets that. He's got a tough schedule. But yeah, I right. think it's it's a tough one. Uh, for him with what he's going to do. But I I think it's fascinating. I think we're going to see lots of movement over the next um, the next couple of weeks and months. And I just can't wait for it to be back. I just think it's such a long off-season. It's been great with the draft. It's been, you know, OTAs and preseasons coming and we're going to have an extra game this year. How, how are you – just a quick one before we let you go. Um, how are your leagues adjusting to this extra game this year? If you – seen much done much with it have you kind of left things as they are this year so it worked out pretty well uh two of my home leagues are uh 14 and 16 teamers the 16 team league we actually had a 14 game regular season and played a week 17 championship which i know would incur the scorn of <laughs> most people. but you know we our thinking on that was like traditionally it really hasn't affected week 17 results as much as people would believe that it would. And we kind of felt like one extra week of the regular season for 16 owners outweighed this uh, 
idea that like somehow a week 17 championship game wouldn't be fair to one team or the other. And I'm kind of glad we've done it that way over the years, but now like now it works perfectly where we still get our 14 game regular season. We're still not playing in the final week. It's perfect. And uh, our 14 team league sort of works similarly well. Um, but yeah, with other teams I've, I've heard uh, or other leagues, I should say, I've heard people thinking about doing a two week championship game, adding playoff teams. Um, some are just going to take the last two weeks off which seems, I don't know, self-defeating. I suppose if you want to have a, a multi-week free-for-all with all the, the teams after the normal season is wrapped up, that would be cool perhaps. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, Scott Fish, who runs a lot of leagues, would probably be the better person to ask about this. He might have more creative uh, creative solutions for for better utilizing that extra week. But uh, yeah, it is interesting. And it's going to be interesting if they inevitably throw the 18 week season at us the following year. So, Oh, that's coming. I'm almost, I'm almost ready for it. Yeah. I don't think they want an unbalanced schedule where teams play one more home game or one more road game. That just, it's kind of silly. So no, I I think it's, I they might, they might just do the reversal. For next year just to tidy it up and, and that might happen it might be 18 next year might sure. be, but it's not gonna be long absolutely not um but this has been an absolute pleasure as always i'm so glad that you came back and joined us and look forward to the next time uh you're on but before you go tell everyone where they can find your outstanding work and your amazing podcast um and tease maybe perhaps who might be on this week sure murph uh great to talk to you as always uh i always love our conversations and uh Already, I'm looking forward to the next one. People can find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Uh, they can find my rankings, pre-draft rankings and in-season rankings every week at thefootballgirl.com. Uh, in-season, they're always posted first thing Tuesday morning. Um, even, even first thing if you're in the UK, because I know the football girl herself usually gets those posted before she goes to bed on Monday nights. Um, and I've... I'm also going to have a lot of content up at uh, footballguys.com. So I would encourage people to subscribe to that. I mean, there's so much on that site. It's well worth it. And uh, as you mentioned, Murph, the weekly fits on fantasy pod uh, that usually arrives Tuesday morning, Wednesday at the latest. And this week it's going to be uh, our mutual friend, Mike Taglier. Oh, fantastic. uh, I'm a little mad that tags, moved out of the Chicago area. So I'm not going to see him in person quite as often. We used to golf every week right after Labor Day, right before the start of the season, because we knew it was going to be like our last non-crazy uh, day of the year. But yeah, um, good conversation with tags that I just wrapped up uh, less than an hour before I came on with you. So I think people are going to enjoy that. Yeah, absolutely. I He's such a fascinating and wonderful person. So um, did you give him much stick for not being verified on Twitter yet? I did. We, it came up. It came <laughs> I'm, up. I'm not sure. <laughs> we had Joe Peace appear on a couple of weeks ago and, uh, and obviously he's hosting and he is the 
uh, mediator between Kyle Yates and Blake <laughs> Daglio on that show at the moment. And uh, I don't know. I don't understand how he's not been verified. Someone needs to sort that out. We'll start a campaign after his ego's been bruised a little bit. <laughs> That's right. Got to come up with some sort of hashtag for that. No we'll, question. We'll do it. We'll work on it. But Pat, as always, thank you so much for coming. Um, look forward to having you on again soon. Rush Nation, check out the rest of the podcasts we're putting out over the course of the week. I think some of the guys, I think the Dynasty pod will be giving away an FFCC spot. So tune in for that on Wednesday. The DFS guys have rolled up and uh, recorded an amazing podcast. So um, check that out when it's out later on in the week. Don't forget to check out all the content and everything we're doing. We've also got the unique day giveaway. There's prizes uh, and all sorts. So check that out on Twitter. It's donations of 312 and in, in divisibles of that to win some amazing prizes. So check out the pin tweet on that. But until next week, where I hope Stocks returns, and if not, he doesn't, and I'll have to call another friend up to come and join. Uh, don't forget, keep rushing. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive, who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm gonna do this to protect myself. Do it for them, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforumc.org. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.